Hi everyone, I'm Heaven. I'm Tracy. And welcome to another round with Heaven and Tracy. <laughs> yes, the return of the air horn. I couldn't think of words to say. So I made a sound. <laughs> so we have a big show today. Mm-hmm. The return of what had happened was what had happened was Tracy tells oh my god yeah, story this about fucking story one of our flights that we went I on got recently into a fight with a white man on an airplane. We asked some friends about reparations and what they'd like to add to the tab. And speaking of reparations, we are going to talk to certified genius Tanahasi Coates. He just won the MacArthur Genius Award. Yes. He demands <laughs> but he's that also we refer genius. to him as genius. He was like, otherwise, I'm not coming on the show. He wrote recently, in the last year actually, about the case for reparations, but also he has a best selling book we want to talk about Between the World and Me. Reparations have been on our mind a lot because in our interview with Hillary Clinton, don't know if you've heard that yet, we <laughs> asked her about reparations. And also today we have Ta-Nehisi Coates on, who is like Mr. Reparations himself. <laughs> so I don't think he would agree with that. Well, we'll talk about it later. So They call me Mr. Reparations. <laughs> well, now they call him a genius. So he's probably, he's risen above being Mr. Reparations. Anyway, we went around our office and we asked some of our friends and colleagues what is on their reparations tab? Who are the biggest, like, white offenders? <laughs> and, like, what are the biggest, like, whitest events that they felt personally, like, victimized by that they want reparations for? Or if you don't you don't have any large qualms, just a particular things you want to itemize, you want some biscuits in your life <laughs> for reparations, you know? We have a tab. Yeah. What would you add to the tab? <laughs> I would like reparations for... All the times when certain people, white people, try to relate by saying something unrelatable. I want reparations for every time I had to explain why something was racist as if Google doesn't exist. Once I was at work and this lady was like, oh my God, I saw Dreamgirls and it was really amazing. And I'm like, what is that? Just because I'm black. Um, I could walk on a train and I see a lady sitting right there and she grabs a purse like she's really nervous. Like, I'm not going to do anything. I could smile and she's still a little nervous, you know. It's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a regular Joe trying to get to work. I would also like reparations for all the white folks who are not um, immunizing their children. That's rude. Just have your kids running around with the flu and polio and whatever else. When a person of color or someone with a unique name does not get fair or equal treatment in terms of a job. I would like reparations for every time a magazine acts like cornrows are a brand new trend. I would like to be paid in all of their profits and complete control of their business. (laughs) I would like to receive my reparations in the form of land in Central Park that I can develop and own. I would want a Apple TV, unlimited Netflix subscription, and like Apple stocks for $1 a share. Thanks. Uh, I get haircuts every other week. It would be nice to have free haircuts every other week for all eternity. I would like the return of Yo! MTV Raps. I would like to be paid in a lifetime supply of whatever weed Beyonce uses and Drake. Can I have Drake? So I am still listening to the official That's My Best Friend song by Tokyo Vanity. Yo. 
I found it on Spotify. They're so official. You <laughs> yes. Go best friend. That's, that's my, my best, best friend. friend. That's my best friend. We're still accepting submissions for our best friend call-in question. Some questions we have just to get you started. You don't have to answer all of them or any of them really is what makes you proud of your best friend? What's something they've done recently that helped? Like what's a fear they've helped you through recently? Or just in general, what what is something you love about your best friend? Mm-hmm. So best friends, interviewing best friends, we want to hear from you guys. We are a big fan of friendship on the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Send us a voice memo at another round at BuzzFeed.com. And please keep them short. Yeah, come on, y'all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we can't wait to hear. We are very excited today to be talking with Tana Hasi Coates. He's ah! the national. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I'm excited. Yes, he's the national correspondent at the Atlantic, the author of *The Beautiful Struggle*, and most recently, the New York Times bestseller *Between the World and Me*. He's received the National Magazine Award, the Hillman Prize for Opinion and Analysis in Journalism, and the George Polk Award for his Atlantic cover story about the case for reparations. Um, he was recently anointed a genius. <laughs> so welcome to the show, sir. Welcome. Everything I say is right. <laughs> I'm a genius. You oh, need a man. shirt that says everything I say is right That's because I'm a genius. I, one thing I had to correct in the intro, I am a national correspondent, not the national oh, correspondent. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Ever since I became a genius, right? I'm careful. <laughs> it's the weight of a genius. So we like to start our show by asking everyone, what do you do and why? I write. That's pretty much it. I write. Why? Because I can't do anything else. I, I really can't. I mean, I, it's funny, but like I, um, you know, I was never a good student. Um, I was a, I'm a college dropout. Um, I have worked other jobs and with the exception of food delivery have proven an abject failure at all. <laughs> so the official answer is that you write because you're not good at anything else but food delivery. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, and I enjoy it. I enjoy food delivery. Too. I mean, I and I think actually there's a connection between that and writing because it was like, listen, Tanahasi, get here at a certain time. You know, like get the food there. At a certain time. I don't care mm. how you got to get it. There. <laughs> Just get it there at a certain time. You know, and I would get in the car, you know, get my little coffee and my little bag on. I'd be off. You know what I mean? And writing is actually the same way. I mean, as long as you don't break any laws, as long as you don't lie, uh-huh. you know, and make shit up, no one cares. You know what I mean? Just get it there at the time it's supposed to get it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Don't, don't mess up the food. Same thing. Huh, you make it sound so easy. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about Between the World and Me. It's simple, not easy. (laughs) Okay. So the framing device of Between the World and Me borrows uh, directly from James Baldwin's The Fire Next Time. Right. As I was reading, uh, rereading James Baldwin, I thought it was funny how you both described white people. (laughs) I got it from him. It's a very Baldwin thing to say the people who believe themselves to be white. (laughs) It made me laugh every time. (laughs) But I was, it was kind of, I don't know, I struggle also with like thinking about the differences between what Baldwin is writing about and what you're writing about. I mean, there's a part where you're talking about Ground Zero and Bin Laden and Mm -hmm. how for black people, Bin Laden is not the first person to to terrorize that part of New York City because right. that's where slave auctions were held. Right, right. And then there's a part in Baldwin where he's talking about the Holocaust and how black people are not surprised by white right, people's capacity right. for terror. Right. So I was like, oh, that was too much. That's right. too much. That's painful. Right. And I'm wondering, in part, I guess, if white people have changed, if the way we talk about white people has changed. I think there's significantly less personal racial animus or racist hmm. animus uh, in this country. 
Um, I think that's definitely changed. I think um, this country is much more tolerant of individual black achievement than it would have been 50 years ago. I think that's definitely true. But I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I, I struggle because it's like, I think about like Baldwin was right. Like about a lot of things. Mm. You know, I, I think he was right. Although I think he underestimated the capacity of the system to reform and, mm. you know, adjust. Um, but I, I think he was right. And so um, my task in like, you know, reading, rereading The Fire Next Time several times, you know, before I wrote this book was to be influenced, but not to be of it. Like to try to do something, to do something, not even try to do something, but to do something that, that was original. Mm. You know, we all have our influences. There's no way to get away from that. You know, I, I tried very hard to acknowledge that, um, to borrow what I could that I thought was beautiful and true, and then to impute some of myself on top of that, you know? Um, yeah, but also even just in terms of, like, millennials. <laughs> right. There's a lot of, like, the narrative of this constructed category millennial. Uh-huh. A lot of it is about, like, their attitudes about race. Right. It, or, like, the I, I think everyone stops saying post-racial earnestly. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not. <laughs> I think so. I think you're right. But... There is still this feeling that like, oh, everybody's just brown soon and our racial attitudes are different. Do people think that? I think they do. I think I was surprised by how much I heard that from black people at Columbia when I went to school there. How long ago was that? When did you get out of school? (laughs) Uh, Like two days ago. (laughs) (laughs) Literally two days ago? No, it was like two years ago. Two years ago. Two days ago. (laughs) I think they're in for a rude awakening. (laughs) I think they're in for a rude awakening. Mm. Um, White white supremacy in this country is um, a fault line that extends from its birth, from before its birth, before the birth of the country, Mm. you know, all the way up through the present. It may be our most trenchant and and difficult evil. And... um, yeah, I think Dan for a rude awakening. <laughs> in the book, the opening quote and the the title is from Richard Wright. Yes. What is what is your relationship to his work? Well, that's awkward because I think like the thing that people love, I actually hate. Um, like Native Son, I'm not a huge Native Son fan. Mm. Mm. At the same time, same time, I love Richard Wright. Um, the the poem, which is not well known, Between the World and Me, is a gorgeous, just a gorgeous, gorgeous poem. And I sat up with a buddy of mine. Uh, probably when I was like 19 years old, you know, who was an older poet. And he broke that poem down uh, to me. And it just it stayed with me over the years. Um, I think I picked that because thematically it's this notion the guy is walking into, into, into the woods. And, and, you know, the epigraph is just in there, but people should read the whole poem. He's walking through the woods. He stumbles on the scene of a lynching, a skull, you know, bones and everything. And he's pulled back. Um, and he thinks like he like the, 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 the perspective of the speaker is almost like, like the past can't hurt him. You know what I mean? The lynching already happened, right? Mm-hmm. But when he stumbles onto the scene, he's actually pulled back and his hymnist being lynched. And I just, I, I thought that was a gorgeous thing uh, for the book because history and being pulled back is such a, such a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the book is a, about a lot of gaps, the gaps between you and the world, between you and your son, between your son and the world, et cetera. But I was kind of curious about how you feel about like interpersonal gaps. So like, for example... Um, you talk, you say, I could not save you from the unbridgeable distance between you and your future peers. Right. So that's a, that's a way you talk about the gap with your son as if empathy has no role in there or what does, what is that role in there? Well, I think like there's probably in a, like there are, will always be random humans who feel empathetic towards other humans. Mm. But what we face in America, um, regrettably is, is, is a structure that makes empathy less likely. Mm. 
So sure, I mean, interpersonal empathy, you know, happens. Interpersonal empathy has happened since, you know, we, we came in 1619. Um, and it was interpersonal empathy during slavery. I mean, seriously, you can read, like, people who held people in bondage feeling very empathetic for the people that they, they held mm. at, at various points. Not empathetic enough. I mean, certainly <laughs> not. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and I think, like, that's, that's the problem now. Um, and I think it's ultimately, like, a question of power. Hmm. You know, I mean, you got to feel really, really empathetic to part with some amount of your power on behalf of some, somebody else. And, and in the broadest kind of way, like in a national kind of way. Hmm. And we ain't there yet. Yeah. Um, telling people that struggle <laughs> always wins over hope. Mm. Not wins. That's not, not how you wins. phrase it. Definitely not wins. The preferences of the universe are struggle over hope. Yes. That's pretty depressing for a lot of people. I don't know why. It should be inspiring. Why? Because that's what you can control. Mm. That's what's under you. That's what you have. That's what you can actually achieve. I had this show this morning. And like in my best dreams, like I'm 20 pounds lighter than I am right now. Right? <laughs> that may never happen. Mm. That may, I mean, I just, that just might not never happen. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I'm not fully in control. Of some of that's genes. Some of that's the world I live in. Some of that's like what, you know, the, the course of my life. Mm. But I had to be here this morning at 10 o'clock. You know, I was late. Sorry about that. <laughs> I was a little late. But I had to be here at 10 o'clock. To go out and get a nice, you know, run in, I had to get up at 530. Ooh. You know, so I get back, get breakfast, get dressed, and get, get everything together. That's all I can live in. That was my victory. I got up. I got up. You know what I mean? It, it can't be like the 20 pounds. Like it just can't because cause that's so out of my control. That's depressing. <laughs> that's, that's what's depressing. Mm. You know, hope, uh, and, and I would say, and I, and I wouldn't argue just hope, I would say you know, the problem we have in our country when we, you know, talk about the kind of issues that, you know, we have in between the world and me is not really a problem of hope. It's a problem of, 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 of hope unearned. Mm. What right have you to say that, that I know for sure one day everything will be better? Mm. What, 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 what's the argument behind that? What's your foundation for it? I would rather take the world as it is and deal with that and have to grapple with that and maybe feel a little bit depressed about that and then mm. come out on the other end than be fed uh, 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 some dream, some bullshit. I mean, not since we're here. <laughs> so on this part, Keep that right? real. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just to like, like, like I, that, that, you know, I don't, I don't need an opiate. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't need the world to, you know, uh, to, to, to be sweetened for me and then to go out one day and be punched in the face, mm. especially because it's addressed to my child. You know, to, to send my, my child out like that mm. with a false hope, mm. with an unearned hope. Tamir Rice was killed. Mm -hmm. And the guy who killed him was a horrible cop. We, we, we have that on the record. Document it. Document. I mean, this is not even before he killed Tamir Rice. Mm. He was unfit to be a police officer. And they put him in that car and he shot a 12-year-old boy. He will probably not be prosecuted. If he's prosecuted, he probably will not be convicted. Mm -hmm. That's the world. I mean, I, that really is the world that you live in. Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, and, you know, the second thing, so you got me on a rant now. I mean, so, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, brother. Take I mean, the, time. Se the Take second time. portion of this is, listen, I, I'm a writer. I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a college principal. I'm not a prophet. I know there are other, you know, quote unquote intellectuals who style themselves that way. I do not style myself that way at all. Mm. It's not my job to make people feel good about the world. No more than it's Joan Dinian's job to make people feel good about the world. No more than it was F. Scott Fitzgerald's job to make people feel good about the world. I, I write literature, you know, and the notion that art 
should be judged by whether it makes you feel good or not. Mm-hmm. Whether it makes you feel good about tomorrow is absurd mm. and infantile. You mentioned in the book how your grandmother played like a big role in your literacy and your writing skills. My mom. Um, it's Samari's grandmother. Yes, my sorry. Mom. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's, yeah, it's yeah. confusing. <laughs> <laughs> and that whenever you got in trouble at school, she'd make you write about it. Yes, yes. Do you remember what you wrote? Wow. No, but it was always like, like why, what was young Tanahasi writing about? Right. Like, why did you do it? What were you thinking at the time? It, was, it had to be really reflective. That was she's big on that. What mm. do you plan to do differently? What mm. was your responsibility in it? I remember she had this rule that I couldn't mention what anybody else had done. Mm. So the story couldn't begin, you know. Um, Tommy and them had said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. None of that. None of that. You know. Michael Tay hit me, and then I, uh-huh. like, you couldn't really do that. It always had to be, mm. I did. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And proceed, because she was big on responsibility and taking responsibility. You, you said you do that with your son now. I do, but not, he's old now, so not so much. <laughs> I mean, he's like 15, so yeah, I'm yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I so did. Did his responses mirror the ones that you wrote for your mom when you were younger? I think trying to get children to take responsibility. <laughs> I mean, trying to get adults, Listen. trying to get anyone to take mm. responsibility for what they've done is like a struggle. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge point of contention. Uh-huh. Still is between me and him. Yeah. Mm. I was very intrigued by some of the responses to this work. Mm. One of them was people doing a little finger wagging saying it's too depressing. Mm. <laughs> Which These people need to like, I mean, go watch a Disney movie. I mean, seriously, <laughs> like, don't, don't read the book then. Yes. Don't read the book. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. You, you know, read read some uh, Harlequin novels or something. I mean, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Go, go read yeah. I don't know. It strikes me as kind of patronizing to tell a black person yeah you should write you're not happy responding things. to this racism well sir allow this response but black uh-huh. people say that too mm. i mean yeah. that's that's one of the chief response from black folks and i think uh one of the problems is um there have been a number of writers and intellectuals who have decided that they're not going to stay in this lane mm. and they want to be activists and so people judge you by that standard but that's that's not who i am I write yeah, things. I think That's it's, it. there's also a certain point you reach in your career as a black writer mm-hmm. where you become everyone's go-to black writer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so therefore, not only must you write, but you must change the nation. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I hate that. Just, you know, in your spare time, <laughs> just, if you could. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you gotten thoughtful criticism? Yeah. What you consider thoughtful criticism? <laughs> yeah, I think most of the criticism is thoughtful. I think... Um, or what are the best? I was surprised by the amount of the gender stuff, by the amount of it. What do you mean by that? Well, it, it's, it's you know, it's become the main critique of the book. I, I didn't What is the gender it. stuff? Sorry. Um, the gender critique is that there's not enough. Um, well, I think, how can I fairly um, articulate this? I think it's that it's written through a black male lens, but not just that, that most of the trauma that I talk about is focused on black men. Mm-hmm. And that's made to be a stand in for black women. Um, but there's not really a strong engagement with the particular trauma of black black women. Hmm. I think that's the critique. I think that's a fair rendering of it. Hmm. I don't know if that's a fair judgment for your your book about yourself and yourself. Well, did I? Do you feel like I fairly articulated the critique, though? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I feel like that's a product of how people like take in black writers, meaning your one story must be representative of all black people. Yeah. But. That's a recipe for bad literature. (laughs) Yes. But I do wonder if I think the better critique there is about how so much of your thinking about race or um, there's a lot of attention in the book to the body. Right. Like like it begins with a quote about your body. Right, right. 
that is borrowed from feminist theory and feminist work, I think. Right. It definitely is. I've said that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the better gender critique. So what should I say then? How, how would you, what's the way to address that then? I think you have articulated this. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you need to say something differently. Like, do you think um, I should say that more? Do you think I don't say it enough? I'm serious. And this is not a combative um, question. Like, I'm actually asking you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think especially the contributions of black women and women of color and feminist theory right. have been so influential to the way we think about everything, contemporary race stuff or gender right. stuff that it's not being drawn attention to enough. Like at every moment we should be drawing attention right. to that work. What's sad is that I got that notion. The first time I encountered that notion was at Howard University. Mm. Um, and actually in a women's histories class, I've written that. And I thought it was absurd at the time. But it like stuck with me. Mm. You know what I mean? And as I went through the world, it became less and less and less and less absurd. But I don't even know like who my professor was reading, mm. who she was pulling from at the time. Which is like odd. I mean, it's like there's ancestry and there's things that right. are working on me. Like I knew it was a, I didn't understand it was a feminist concept. Mm. Like I can name like black women historians who are very, very important to me, right? But I can't, um, like the theoretical stuff is a lot harder. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, no, like I literally can't name for you. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I could do, you know, something, I don't know, like silly Patricia Hill Collins, Bell Hooks, you know, and tell you what I read there, but not mm. in the same sort of deep yeah, yeah, seated yeah. way. I can, I can do with other things. Mm. You know? I mean, I think that's a collective problem, making those connections. Right, right. Um, even Obama called you a downer, though. <laughs> yeah. He did? You said that. Yeah. <laughs> did I say that? He, or uh, not a downer, excuse me. I think he said, don't despair. He told me, don't despair. Yes. Yeah. I translated that as, don't be a downer. <laughs> right, 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 right. You said that you probably wouldn't have written this book in 2008. No, I wouldn't have. Why? I felt differently in 2008. I think in 2008, I was a standard issue liberal. Um, I believed in class-based strategies. Um, I thought that the big problem in the African-American community was that there were too many poor people. Mm. And that if you address the broader issues of poverty, you would, you could, you know, I, I probably felt like Obama feels, you know? I mean, you could deal with the race question. I, I objected less at the time to his respectability politics. Mm-hmm. I thought... It reminded me of stuff that, I mean, I didn't agree with it, but it was stuff I'd heard all my life. And so a huge influence was getting the blog at The Atlantic. How did that change you? It put me in conversation with people who were a lot smarter than me, frankly. Mm. Um, I had a period of time that I missed desperately from about 2008 to about 2012. It started to end around 2012. And Mm. by 2013, 14, it really was gone. And it's really gone now. Um, And that was a period where no one really cared what I said. And you like there wasn't this pedestal, you know. Like people put mm. you up on a pedestal, whether you want it or not. By the right. way, whether you want it or not, they, they they put you on a throne. It was much easier for me to mix with other people, you know, um, particularly like in the comments. And so I, I could like you know go to the comments in my on my blog, mm. and people would like suggest books, and they would say you should read this, you should check out this. Have you read this? Have you thought about that? And it was like beautiful. I mean, it was a really really beautiful space. A lot of that stuff changed me. This um, is our rapid fire question segment that is rarely rapid fire called pew, 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 pew. These are finger guns because it's a gun. And right, I got fire. it. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, 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 I got it. Okay. I got right. it. I'm here. Right. What is your favorite French curse word or insult? 
I don't. I, I can't answer that because I can't use any of them. By oh. which I mean, I don't know the language. I don't have enough facility uh-huh. in the language to actually. I, somebody would laugh at me cursing in French. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. What's your favorite English cuss word? <laughs> I mean, nigga. Okay, you consider that a cuss word? I think most people do. I mean, just like <laughs> yeah. the thing you don't say in public company. Uh-huh. That's true. But true. nigga is a great word. Um, uh, it's the best. Word. You recently yeah, moved to France. Have you listened to niggas in Paris in Paris yet? Niggas in Paris and Paris. That is no. easily the only reason <laughs> I would go to France. <laughs> to listen to niggas in Paris and <laughs> yes. Paris. It's such a good song How to celebrate. How is it not the first celebration to get to do this? Oh my God, sir, I'm disappointed. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like going back over that album. I'm such a late coming to that album. What a great album. You know, mm. I think I, I would agree. I think I was hating At the on time, Kanye it was West. a lot. I can confess to that. I was like, this yeah. it's so ostentatious. I mean, I mean, it was all a lot too. And it was coming on right at the heels of the last one. It was like, I just can't. And yeah. then there's Kanye, the, the persona. Which, and you got to like, kind of to get him because i've been on this thing now where like i really need to evaluate art on what the artist is trying to do mm. and you have to almost like divorce yourself from all the interviews all the everything all the hype all the, and just listen yeah just listen for a second you know what i mean it's a beautiful album mm. i agree so we were talking earlier about um struggle versus hope and yes. you spend a lot of time in the struggle arena compared to the hope arena. So <laughs> how do you take care of yourself? What's your self care routine when things are getting a little too heavy? Like how right. you okay. All right. <laughs> Writing is awesome. Writing is self care. <laughs> I mean, imagine having to sit here with all of that bottled up inside you. You just uh-huh. walk around angry. You know, it's like yeah. Chuck said, when I get when I get mad, I put my pen on the pad. You know what I mean? That's uh-huh. that's that's what it is. I write. Yeah, I, I remember those days when I did that. And I was ah, like, you need to get hard. back to it. Get back <laughs> to do. it. You lose it, man. To. You I lose know it. it. I know it. Absolutely. What was your most embarrassing 90s fashion moment? Is there anything you look back on like, what was I doing? <laughs> Probably everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything. I don't know. Ain't too many pictures of me in the 90s. Oh, <laughs> so I don't know. Is that a good thing? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They don't exist, so. If you could demand reparations from one white person in particular, <laughs> who would you invoice? Who do you feel owes you the most? Well, that, that's contrary to the notion of reparations. Mm. You know, um, the ability to demand it from 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 one white person. Nobody <laughs> owes me specifically anything. Uh-huh. It's impossible to do because mm-hmm. the whole notion of reparations means that the society itself did something. I'm right. sorry to make this very intellectual. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Forgive me, but it just it doesn't quite work like that. Uh huh. Sorry. Um, what <laughs> I would invoice Iggy Azalea because I feel personally wronged by her. You feel personally wrong. I do. Like that was I don't think there's a single attack. white person who I feel personally wrong by. <laughs> not not one. Well, that's good. I'm not also one. being silly, but yeah. you know. I got you. Okay. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> what is the most Howard thing that happened while you were at Howard? Peak Howard. Wow. What was the most Howard thing that happened at Howard? No, I know what it was. I was walking across the yard one time and the AKAs were doing their little uh, thing <laughs> that they do. You know, they're dancing, whatever, between <laughs> on the yard. And I cannot remember the song they were singing, but <laughs> I can remember like this one line from it. It was basically was, and everybody can't be AKA. <laughs> and it was so like anti. It was so like, y'all ain't. <laughs> this right here, <laughs> you can't even get with. Like you're not even part of this right yes. here. You know what I'm saying? And um, I think like, even though it was them, that's how Howard people carry themselves. Boy, <laughs> yeah. arrogant as hell. Yes. Like arrogant, but it's it's true. I mean, it's a right to be arrogant. You know what I mean? I, I, um, I ain't graduated from there and I'm arrogant. (laughs) (laughs) What is your earliest memory? Well, that's tough because it's like, how about this? My earliest verifiable memories when I was five years old, I chipped my tooth. Mm. How? I was playing outside in the snow 
and I chipped my tooth. And that's like, I have memories before then, but I know that that happened and mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the other ones. We have two last questions. One, what does Obama smell like? <gasps> Tracy's favorite question. Yes. I have no idea. How what would I you know mean? that? Uh, you've met him uh, several times. How would I know what he smells like? Because you have been in close proximity. To I haven't man. been in that close proximity. Not have you that been close, close enough to like shake his hand? Like, I couldn't tell you Y'all what Tracy smells like. Like, I couldn't tell you what, like, I could tell anybody what you smell like. Uh, That's about God. the distance. Who answered? Has somebody answered that question? Uh, several, several people. people. They don't know. David that. Simon did. David Simon said he smells tall. <laughs> oh, I like that. A little abstract. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did get abstract with Okay, it. he smells optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> smells like hope. <laughs> smells like hope. Smells um, like hope. If people had the capacity to know, more than one contemporary black writer besides Ta-Nehisi Coates. If it were possible. <laughs> Who would you recommend they start reading? Can, I, can we not just do one? Can we do like five? Yeah, several, yes. please. <laughs> okay. Um, if it was just one, I, geez, I hate being cliche. I would pick Isabel Wilkinson easily. Hmm. I just, I don't want to be cliche here, but like Toni Morrison... It's cliche because everybody knows who Toni Morrison is, but it's just, if you don't, like if you haven't read Toni Morrison, you don't understand American literature right mm. now. Mm. I read... Um, Americana. Mm. And I know she's not African-American, but that book, good Lord. Mm. What people don't know about me is I'm actually like a, a romantic. Aww. I know no one would know that <laughs> <laughs> in between the world and me, but I like love great romantic comedies. Mm. And that book is like something that people don't do anymore. And mm. that, it's like, it's a straight like Jane Austen, Edith Wharton, mm. George Eliot, you know what I mean? Old school joint. And I love all, I mean, I love that. I don't say that in any sort of condescending way. I, blo- I blogged about all of those authors. But she flipped it and turned it into this big, like, epic. Mm. You know what I mean? Of, of, the, of the diaspora. That is mm. an, an, an incredible book. One of my huge influences is poetry. I got I to gotta name some poets. Yusef Kumanyaka. Um, I would strongly, you know, recommend people reading Yus- Yusef Kumanyaka, who's just an incredible, incredible, incredible poet. Um, well, I can only answer this this uh, uh, personally. And um, Thavolia Glyph's book, Out of the House of Bondage, mm-hmm. which is all about uh, violence that house mistresses inflicted on uh, enslaved black women, mm-hmm. <laughs> is incredible. And it's incredible because it goes against a common stereotype of the house mistress is somehow being milder mm-hmm. than the house master. So this idea that, that you know, which if you think about it, it's almost a little sexist, the idea that women can't dole mm-hmm. out violence mm-hmm. in the same way. I mean, it's tough to name like after James Baldwin, like like what do I say? The number one influence on on, on between the world and me, but it's high up there. Mm. It's really, really high up there because the book is so physical, and the book is just all about the body, and mm. it's like, I mean, vicious stuff like pokers in the eye. You know what mm. I mean? People beating people with like you know cattle whips. I mean, women too. Like you know what I mean? And it it really shows you a. That like the capacity of violence is, is human. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not gender. It's, it's a human thing. You know what I mean? Um, and at the same time that, you know, like like a system of enslavement corrupts everyone. And there's no mild mannered ladyhood mm-hmm. that will exempt you from that. And when you see that, then you can understand how much violence has really, you know, you know, infiltrated, you know, the fabric of white supremacy and how key it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a great book. It's a mm. great, great book. Most people should read it. I'm definitely going to read it. Yeah. Short, too. Like, I think, like, maybe 200, 250, but you get through it in, like, a week. Mm. It won't be a fun week, but... One last question. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what is your favorite rom-com? Yes. Oh, I I don't know if this qualifies, but it's got to be The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Does that oh. qualify? <laughs> I think that qualifies. Is there not enough romance in The 40-Year-Old Virgin? Yeah. 
I love that. Yeah, yeah. no, I think I think oh, I um, love Steve Carell. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I, it's cliche, but I think four weddings and a funeral is great. Mm-hmm. I think it's like that's more of a traditional rom com. I think four weddings and a funeral is a perfect film. It's tough because some people don't think Forty Year Virgin is actually a rom com, but I think of it as a rom com. I think it counts. Yeah. We'll accept it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Time Heisey Coates. Thank you so much for coming out. Is there anything that you're working on that you would like to plug? Where can people find you? I'm on book tour right now. Are you on the internet? Perhaps Twitter? I am, but I'm off right now because mm. I'm on book tour and I'm trying to, which is actually oddly enough a great time to write, <laughs> <laughs> like in the downtime. So um, probably less so on, on Twitter right now. Um, so where can people find your book tour stuff? I don't know. <laughs> You should probably fix that. I know. I'm so sorry. So sorry. You know what? So you sorry. can meet so him at in the a Atlantic. major city. Nigga, you know, Google, Google, motherfucker, Google. And in the remaining Barnes and Noble in your city. Yes. yes. And you can find him on Twitter when he does return at Tanasi Coast. That's it. That's it. Thank you so Thank much you for so stopping much by, for sir. By. Thank you. We really appreciate your time. Again. Sure. Okay, so what happened was, Heaven and I were on the 18th airplane of the month. We've been doing <laughs> yes. a lot of traveling. We're delirious. And I got the middle seat, right? So I'm like, all right, whatever, fine. Um, I'm just going to sit my black ass down. <laughs> okay. And just make the flight. And so when I sit down, there's this woman, an older woman, older white woman, sitting in the uh, window. And there is a man who's like standing in the row ahead of her, just kind of like standing, hanging out. And so mm. I come and I sit in the middle seat and then the man sits down next to me and I'm like, oh, that was nice of him. He was waiting until like I got into the seat for him to sit down, whatever. And I'm making small talk with the with the lady and then the lady and the man who's sitting to my right, mm-hmm. they start talking and it becomes evident that they are married, right? Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, do you, do y'all want to, does somebody want to trade me seats so you can sit together? And they say, no, she likes the window seat. I like the aisle seat. So we, we bought these tickets purposefully this way. To which so I'm like, translation, oh, we're just going to keep talking over right, you. Right, right. So I'm like, all right. Might be a little uncomfortable, whatever, but I'm going to get through it. The woman's name is Deb. Man's name was Mike. <laughs> I got to know them very well. Oh, my God. Mike was like, he couldn't get like the Wi-Fi to work. And he didn't understand how like the outlets on the plane work. This was JetBlue, by the way. So there were outlets and there's Wi-Fi. And so whenever he couldn't do anything, he like turns to Deb. He's like, Deb, what did I get? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and he starts making like these ridiculous hand movements or whatever. They decide to start drinking. And so like they're passing drinks back and forth across uh-uh. my lap. Over my MacBook, which is open Mm-mm. and on the seat back tray. And at one point they tried to, like, they saw that I was frustrated. And so instead of passing the drinks right in front of my face, they tried <gasps> to pass them over my head. Oh, my God. So then not only would my MacBook get wet, my hair would also get wet. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mike Love and when Deb. vodka gets in my hair. Oh, man, it's just such a great <laughs> moisturizer. Uh, <laughs> the conditioning properties of vodka, listen. And I'm just like, you know what? It's a full flight. There probably aren't any other seats available. I'm going to just sit here and I'm going to chill, right? So everything was fine up until a point. So if you follow me on Twitter, you know how I feel about armrest situations on airplanes. <laughs> I have a theory what does that, mean? <laughs> that women are much, much more likely, even if they do use the air at, the armrest, to share it, right? Oh, I mean, they take yeah. up very little easily. room. Yeah. Men... 
they assume that any space that they want is theirs. They always claim an armrest. And I'm always like, fuck you, sir. I have as much claim to this armrest as you do. We just gonna have to like. I have will it fight out. someone about an armrest. Absolutely, absolutely. And the armrest is what triggered the fight, right? So I'm typing on my computer and Mike decides that he wants to go to sleep. So he leans over towards me to like lean on that particular armrest. Oh, no, 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 Mind no, you, no. he's on the end, he's on the aisle, so he has an, a complete armrest to himself, right? Uh-uh. So I'm like, no, you're not gonna pass shit over my computer. Also get Two armrests? What the, what the, who the fuck are you? No. We pay the same amount for these seats. You're not going to like get any special treatment. So he's like slowly like trying to edge my elbow off the armrest. And I'm like, nope, uh-uh. nope, not going to happen. I will box you out, sir. Listen. And so like I started like typing really dramatically so that my elbow would move a lot and like poke him sort of. <laughs> and like he keeps leaning over like he's damn near like laying on my boob at this point. Uh-huh. Right. And so I very politely, very politely tap him on his shoulder mind you he's probably like in his 60s maybe mind you like this is also 70s. hour four right so we are thousands and thousands of miles up in the air right and i've taken all that i could take so and even still i was still very polite i tap him on his shoulder i say sir it's kind of hard for me to type with none of the armrests as soon as i heard words coming from ahead of me i was like oh no oh no she's it's had going it down. It's she's going had it. down honestly i wasn't i had my headphones in and i was just irritated watching it happen it's like how is she dealing with this uh, and then as I, soon as i heard words i was like uh-uh it's yeah about, it's over she's it's about over. to go down <laughs> and so me being very polite and he's like well uh you've been uh hogging this armrest blah 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 and i'm just like sir are you serious he's like yeah yeah, I'm serious. I'm like, okay, sir, you have another whole armrest on the other side. He was like, well, the way I see it, you're in the middle seat. Half of this is mine. And that's when what? I, he said that shit to me. Those aren't the rules of an airplane. No, not at all. So I'm like, okay, so you get an you armrest. You get one full point five. Exactly. That's not how it works. He was like, and I was like, so is that how you think this works? He was like, yeah, you're in the middle seat. That's what it is. I was like, okay, let's talk about why I'm in the middle seat. Because you and your ditzy ass wife, I didn't say that, but I wanted to. Because she was like, she was cool. She was oh, She was aloof as fuck. She was. And that's how you know that he's just a horrible person who does this all the time. Oh, yeah. She, it was straight point, up. It was like a salon situation where yeah. everyone in the elevator was just watching right, it happen. Right. She's like, oh, that just, that just happens that's sometimes. That's just Mike. That's there just Mike. Mike again. I'm At just one Deb point, over she here. was like, oh, Mike. Mike. And then she said nothing <laughs> like barely. else. I know. And so I'm like, let's talk about why I'm sitting in the middle. Because you very rudely bought two seats on either side of the middle chair. So I had to sit here with you passing stuff over my very expensive work laptop. And in my face, it was very rude of you to do that, first of all. Second of all, you're just being a jerk right now. Mm. Like, I've sat here and I took as much of this as I could. But you've this has been the worst flight I've ever been on. I can't believe that you're an adult acting like this. Mm. Blah, blah, blah. And the whole time he's just like, rah, 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 rah. you need to do this. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, he was blah, giving blah, blah, blah. you like all get off my lawn dad vibes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Grandpa vibes. Absolutely. <laughs> and so then here come the flight attendants. And I'm like, okay, so now it's an official scene. Oh, cool. I mean, it is because it escalated quickly. <laughs> it did. It escalated so <laughs> The volume quickly. went high quickly. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you not, I don't care who you are. I don't care where we are. You're not going to talk to me any kind of way. Oh, absolutely. And just, I'm not saying you were the only Yeah, no, no, no. Escalator. I'm not saying that. Yeah, but I'm just like, I'm just explaining why. I was like, I went toe to toe. So then a flight attendant came over. Bless this man's heart. Um, It was a black (laughs) dude. The thing is, though, 
Okay, I had been watching how he interacted with every single person on the plane. Uh-huh. And every single flight attendant had looked at him and been like, this motherfucker. They had <laughs> so done they the like, knew. pull ear thing, like, watch uh-huh. out for that right. one. Watch out for this so dude. he was already a problem. Right, so they He's already knew. He's doing the most already. Uh, before the dang on flight even took <laughs> off, they already knew. So he came over and I could see him roll his eyes because yes. he's like, this fucker again. Right, he's <laughs> like, what's going on here? Is everything okay? I was like, no, everything's not okay. So I told him, I was like, you know what? He's been very, very rude the entire flight, blah, 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 blah. Then I told him like how they bought the seats, and the dude was like, "That's very rude, sir. Why would you do that?" <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> like he couldn't believe that they yeah. bought the seats that way. He came through. He he did. Came, his name was Roosevelt. Roosevelt from JetBlue. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> you. you. I hope I hope you get a raise very soon. <laughs> he was very patient. He man. was so patient. And then like the dude is just like going off and going off and going off. And so the flight attendant is like, "Okay, obviously we have to like separate you. We have to move you." I was like, you know what? Since I'm obviously the most mature one in this outfit, <laughs> me, I will be the bigger person. 33-year-old me compared to 75-year-old Mike. I'm going to be the bigger person. I'm going to be the mature one. I'm going to collect my things and I'm going to move. I apologize to everybody around me on both of our behalves. I was like, since one of us is not going to have the mm. the maturity or the like the manners to do it, I apologize on behalf of both of us. Roosevelt held it all the he way down. He also pulled him aside. He's like, all right, we're going to have to talk to you. Right. He was like, come, come like chill. <laughs> like she's going to move, but we also need to talk to you. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to like deescalate. I'm trying to get my stuff. And he's just like, I'm just going off. Yeah. So I collect my belongings. I go up to the front. Coincidentally, I think I got like one of the more spacey. So I was <laughs> cool. I was chill. And then like, I guess like the head flight attendant came over or whatever. Mm. He was like, okay, so what happened? So I told him <laughs> what happened. And he was like, oh, we could have moved you. You know, we're, it's a very confined space so we can't have like incidents happen. Mm. He was like, you should have said something. I was like, well, was listen, full, first of all. They said it was a full flight. They said flight. it was a full flight. <laughs> Excuse me. They said it was a full flight. And I was like, beyond that, I'm an adult who knows how to like deal very well with uncomfortable situations. Like mm. I was never like, oh, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to make it. You know what I'm saying? I can I can deal with being inconvenienced mm. to a degree. And he was like, well, would you like a glass of wine or something? And I was like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, man. So he came by and he slid me a little glass of one of those little bottles of wine. And then, like, before I could even get it open, he came by and he just, like, slid me another one. And I was like, bless your heart, sir. Yeah, he bless was your so heart. great. Yeah, the jet crew really knew. held it down. And then there was another guy who was dressed in, like, civilian clothes, but I think he worked for the airline. His name was Fabian. He was like, um, I'm going to go and get your... Um, your roller bag that I had up in the overhead mm. storage compartment and he was like I'm gonna bring it up here so you don't have to go back and like see him later mm. literally like, everyone Bless. on the plane knew everybody he was trash everybody knew that he was trash <laughs> and they just went out of their way to like accommodate me and I really really appreciate it um, when he got back to his seat from being lectured uh-huh. <laughs> he was like grumbling like peak old man like <laughs> Oh, they don't even respect older generations. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Sir, what? You're trash." Oh my gosh! Just because you're old doesn't mean you can you can't exactly. you can be trash. You can't do like whatever you unmitigated want. trash, <laughs> especially on an airplane with strangers. I don't owe you anything. Get out oh, of my man. face forever, Mike. But it, you could tell, like, just the way he was sprawled out. He's mm-hmm. like a kind of man who, like, has is not used to like just even his physical space mm-hmm. being in any way he has to accommodate someone else. Exactly. He's never used to in his life accommodating mm-hmm. someone else. I mean, like, you and can't man spread on an airplane. basically. Right, right. <laughs> there's not enough room to man, man spread exactly, on an airplane. Exactly, exactly. Like, there's not. 
a white man be treating the whole world like it's their living room, man. Oh, man. You can't do that. You cannot. So We gonna box you out. Right, right. So I was thinking about it and I was like, my mom's gonna be so proud of me because my mother would have done the same thing. <laughs> like, she ain't raised no pushover at all. So oh, I'm proud of you, Tracy. That's what it happened. And then, oh wait, I wanted to say this. I was getting off the plane and I saw Roosevelt, right? And he was just like <laughs> chilling. Roosevelt was just chilling hard, just chilling hard. And I was like, I apologize again. He was like, sometimes you gotta put people in check. Listen, he that knew. Was it. He was it. And then as we were getting a cab, another flight attendant yes. saw us she's, she's like ma'am like, I'm so sorry like, I'm so sorry I'm so sorry <laughs> everyone knew y'all I know so shout out to JetBlue that's the story of the time that I got into a fight with an old white man probably like 300,000 miles <laughs> in the air I don't think that's true nah well you know just pulled out a number oh <laughs> man and Deb I'm praying for you girl <laughs> oh my gosh poor Deb alright Evan, guess what time it is? What time is it? Time to buy a round. Who's your round for this week? Uh, this week I am buying around for puzzles. Yay! <laughs> you guys, I, I love puzzles. puzzles. <laughs> um, so I'm very, very, very salty right now because the post office keeps not delivering my package. Go off, Evan. Go off. And I, you guys, have ordered this glorious one thousand piece puzzle of Starry Night. So you mm. know that she's gonna be mad difficult because right. it's mad blue. <laughs> So I was very hyped to do that and enjoy myself this weekend, uh, relax a little, and it didn't come again. That's you know what? Worst. I'm a fan of the post office. They usually do their job. Their mm-hmm. job is pretty hard and they deal with a lot. But right, right now I'm a little heated. I want to enjoy my puzzle. <laughs> um, so yeah, shout out to puzzles <laughs> for bringing me joy in this world. Aww. It's like a very literal, like, it's the one area of life where the pieces fit and it feels like everything's possible. That was beautiful and also kind of sad. It's very depressing. I'm a parody of myself. (laughs) Shout out to puzzles. It's just like there's no other realm in my life where I'm like, even though this all looks indecipherable or it's hard to distinguish that one feeling Uh from the other. Yeah. There's a greater reason for this. Yeah. There's a greater reason for why we're alive. True. True. There's a reason for hope. Um, I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) I mean, the pieces fit. Right. Okay. That's fine. Uh, I also ordered a 3,000 piece mm-hmm. Guernica puzzle. And if you are familiar with Pablo Picasso's Guernica, it is black and white. Oh, that shit's going to be mad difficult. Oh, my God. As soon as I moved into my new apartment, I'm like, what am I going to do with all this floor space? <laughs> I know. Puzzles. <laughs> puzzles. Anyways, shout out to puzzles. Shout out to puzzles. Who are you buying around for, Tracy? I'm buying around for nachos. Ooh. I love food. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I probably love it a little too much. And it's one of my go-to favorite comfort foods Mm. at any time, but especially like when I'm PMSy and Mm. I just want to eat cheese and I want something crunchy. Those are the two things that I always crave. And in nachos, you get both. <laughs> it's so much crunchy, cheesy goodness. <laughs> I went out last night because I was feeling really, really stressed over like the whole interview stuff and just life in general. And I needed to pick me up. But I was like, mm, got to find me some nachos. Mm. I ended up at a place called Calexico in Park Slope. Mm-hmm. And those nachos, okay. listen, 
so on point so on point they're like not the even cheese. paying us for this although they should they should they should let me get like a coupon for some free nachos or something i mean like a Lexico. sponsor <laughs> oh yeah show. that too listen i would be fine with just like some free nachos anyway <laughs> i love nachos where like the cheese is like super cheesy mm. and like it just like kind of melts and like runs all over everything and then you got like the sour cream going on and the worst thing in the world is nachos where like the cheese gets hard when it gets cold Ooh. that shit will make me want to punch somebody in the face <laughs> how dare you how dare you but these nachos were the complete opposite they were so good mm. and they made me feel a lot better i feel like there's a psychological thing with nachos though in the same way with cheesy fries i once ordered cheesy fries and got the cheese on the side mm. do you know what it does to your psyche to actually have to put on the cheese <laughs> See, i'm like, I like wow that, i'm trash <laughs> i'm just gonna spread it everywhere no please put it on for me no i, so like I don't have having to deal with this over like where the cheese goes no, 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 no. And, like please you know, add it for corner, me i might want more psychologically cheese, then... <laughs> it's not great for me i'm i'm into the control of <laughs> Okay. Anyway, shout out to Nachos. Shout out to Nachos. Shout out to Calexico for having delicious Nachos. Tracy, we did it! Oh my God! Thanks so much to Tanahasi Coats for stopping by. Mm-hmm. This episode is produced by Eleanor Kagan and Yay! Meg Kramer with editorial oversight from Jenna Weiss Berman and production help from Julia Furlong. Ow! Ow! Also, a big thank you to Paul Ruest at Argo Studios. We have missed you so much, Paul. Paul's giving us peace signs in the background. Thank you to our in-house musicians, Jean Gray. You can follow her on Twitter at Jean Greasy. And thank you to Don Will of the almighty Tanya Morgan. You can follow him on Twitter at Don Will. That's D-O-N-W-I-L-L. Thank you to my favorite Optimus Prime <laughs> for holding it down this uh, episode per usual. Thank you to the Tracy. Yay. As usual, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Heaven Rants, Heaven the Noun, Rants the Verb. I am at Brokey McPoverty, Brokey the the Broke, and McPoverty the, <laughs> the McProv. The more, the McProv. <laughs> <laughs> if you like our show, please rate us on iTunes. Leave a review. If you don't like our show, keep it to yourself. Shh, just don't. And if you like the show, tell a friend. Yeah. Find us on twitter.com slash another round at Facebook slash another round. As always, email us with advice, questions, tips another round at buzzfeed.com drink some water do some stretching i've been stretching lately and my body feels so much better Ooh. also take your meds i've been doing that lately and my brain feels so much better uh also back up your data yes several people they told me that they backed up their data because mm. of what i said honestly just changing lives changing lives out changing here in the world when life but also time. you will thank me it was <laughs> it is actually life-changing yes call your mom and them your mother and her cohort yes <laughs> i can't say that out loud <laughs> it just sounds horrible when i say it i don't I'm just say it one time no just once i i did and it was horrible Ugh. the thing about english being your second language is you're very aware of what words sound like coming out of your mouth mm-hmm. i wish more americans were aware of that <laughs> perhaps some white people <laughs> anyways thanks, uh, so thanks so for listening for y'all. Us, y'all come back next week Time for my favorite question. Sure. Uh, if your belly button could talk and had its own personality. Oh, Jesus. What <laughs> would you name it? You guys are tripping. <laughs> um, my belly button's name would be Veronica, if anybody's okay. interested. It's a stupid name. <laughs> Everybody named Veronica listening right now is pissed at you. <laughs> Tell him I said it. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.